1: Here at the studio was asking me about the UK because the show is airing on in the UK and he was asking how the response is and, and we're getting people who are inquiring from it and we also are getting more attacks on the website from people from the UK. So I guess some of them like what we're doing, talking about these issues openly and some of them would prefer we don't, but that's okay. We'll just keep fighting the battle. and So I want to begin today by reading... Uh, the results of a survey that George Barner Group just recently came out several weeks ago, and this is on millennials, ages 26 to 41. Almost half of young adults prefer socialism to capitalism. Nine of ten are syncretists, picking a mixture of beliefs from different religions so as not to appear intolerant, 90%. Being born again doesn't result from repentance and faith in Christ's sacrificial substitutionary death and resurrection, but refers to being a good person, they believe, doing good deeds to merit one's salvation. This is so dangerous. Only 28% believe the Bible is the word of God. The overwhelming majority reject the concept of an all-knowing, all-powerful creator and do not accept the biblical historical view of Scripture, sin, and salvation. And then there's more. Three out of four millennials believe all religious faiths are of equal value. 56% reject the existence of absolute truth. So anything goes. 4% of millennials hold to a biblical worldview regarding God, life, and morality. 4%. Only one in four millennials believe they can trust Christian pastors and a high percent identify themselves as don'ts, meaning they don't even know or care if God exists. And then when you add the porn issues to that, and the uh, the numbers of youth leading the church, this is this is some frightening and shocking numbers and things we need to be aware of and start equipping people with, and our youth and talking to our youth. And so today, to talk about these issues and more, I have Greg Reed. On the line, Greg has been in youth ministry for nearly 30 years and is the director of Youth Fire Ministries. He is a former private investigator, has taught over 250 criminal justice classes on occult crimes and crimes against children to law enforcement and others. Greg himself is a survivor of ritual and sexual abuse and has written over 12 books. Greg, welcome back to the show.
2: Thank you, Mike. Glad to be with you.
1: So when you hear all of that, that all that that I just read, what goes through your mind?
2: What goes through my mind is I've been warning about this for at least the last twenty years that while we have been so busy building mega churches and preaching prosperity and and produce, pro, uh, projecting a me-centered gospel, we had a whole generation of youth that were falling through the cracks. And as I think we've talked about before, most youth ministry, Was developing into just kind of a fun center where they had all the coolest Xbox games. You could go in and play some games, have some food, sing a couple of songs, and then you know maybe have a little five-minute Jesus snack at the end of it. Which is nobody's going to survive college with that kind of spiritual training. It's not possible because there, almost every university I've heard about, and certainly been true of the youth that I've dealt with here, the the university is. They are full of professors who are literally salivating to get nominal Christian kids into their class so that it can humiliate them, make an example of them, and indoctrinate the rest of the class.
1: Hmm. I'm going to read a quote from one of your recent newsletters where you wrote, The war is not over. Kids are getting involved in the occult, things like never before. And, and adult occult groups fear little from most churches anymore. Since we've been so weakened by our own acceptance of occultic and new age things like the Enneagram, I don't know if I said that right, the shack, Jesus calling, Christian yoga, circle making, etc. We cannot fight Satan with his toys in our back pocket. So that sounds like there's some occult influence in a lot of Christian homes. Yeah, I think we're,
2: we're very, very compromised. In homes, in the church, uh, I just saw that for a local church here, that they had a fun family night uh, last week where they were going to show the movie Ghostbusters, and I immediately messaged the pastor and said, are you aware that Ghostbusters is a highly occult-filled movie? And he didn't get the point, and he didn't think it was relevant. I thought, well, how can you, how do you convince people who are not willing to uh, listen to the scriptures or listen to somebody when they're, and, and this is not an isolated deal. I just recently, there was another church that was starting a class on Christian yoga. And I went through the whole the, the formal letter. Uh, I sent him information from actually a Hindu teacher in India that says, stop, stop co-opting our religion. It's not a Christian religion. It's Hinduism. And, uh, he's like, well, thank you, but we're going to do the classes anyway. I don't even know how to deal with people that are that closed minded to the truth, to the word of God. And as long as they're that way, then they are going to be utterly ineffective in fighting the powers of darkness in this present age. Mm.
1: I have to print I have to confess I've never done yoga, so I really don't know what it's about. I've just seen pictures. So what what is going on in that act, whether it's Christian yoga or Hindu yoga?
2: Well, and it's very important that people know this because it's been so uh, commonly thought to be harmless or something for health, you know, or stretching exercises. But this started in the 60s when Transcendental Meditation came over through the uh, promotion of uh, a little man named Maharishi Mahesh Yoga that was um, somebody that the Beatles went after and were taught by. But yoga came in as, as a result of him and some other... Uh, teachers that came to the States like Paramahansa Yogananda that established uh, a big center in Los Angeles, what they don't tell you unless you're really doing the real yoga is all of the poses that are supposed to, that, you know, the Christians, whatever, their exercises, every pose is a prayer to a Hindu god or goddess. And every time you do one of those, you're acknowledging that god or goddess. All of those things in in Hinduism, And in yoga, the point of yoga is to open what's called the chakras, which they refer to as the, they're the energy centers in our body. And every time you use a pose and you open up a chakra, the, the end game is to open up the ultimate chakra, which is, they believe is at the base of your spine, which is called the Kundalini spirit, which is the serpent spirit. And once you're enlightened enough and have practiced yoga discipline long enough, then it releases this serpent spirit to uncoil through your spine and go through your head and explode out of the center of your third eye in the middle of your forehead, at which point you become divine. And I've had to pray with a ton of people who before they were Christians had to d- did this, and they're, they still had problems. Because the kundalini spirit or spirits are very real and they're very dangerous.
1: Mm. <clears throat> so you're saying they allowed that access, for lack of a better word, into their lives when they were doing that stuff.
2: That's exactly what the poses are meant to do is allow access to the gods and the goddesses of the Hindu world.
1: Mm. So what do you say to the uh, the believer says, hey, I'm not chanting or anything. What's the big deal to me?
2: Well, um, my response is, if you call them, they will come. The poses are designed to acknowledge these gods and goddesses. And they said, well, it's just stretching. I said, look, I can do a hundred stretches and don't have to do any kind of crouching tiger-hidden-dragon nonsense. Mm. You know, it's just you just stretch. Don't follow that formula, because that formula is designed to weaken spiritually your body to allow other things to take control.
1: Well, to me in my own life, I know I want to stay as far away from the dark side or the occult as I can. I want to stay as close to Jesus as I can. And to me, that's a big part of my motivation. I want nothing to do with that stuff.
2: Well, we should, that's where we should be. I mean, my, I guess in the later part of my years, my crying question is always why isn't Jesus enough for us? Why do we need a formula? Why do we need to do circle making? Why do we need the latest it? Why do we need all of that why Why is not Jesus and his word enough for us?
1: Mm. Yeah, you bring up a good point, and i don't I'm not versed enough on these things you brought up like the Enneagram, the shack, Jesus calling. I know Jesus calling has been a sold a lot of books, so what is your take on that?
2: Well, it's actually one of the best sellers it's ever been for, I think, the Zondervan. Tom Nelson or Zondervan, I'm not sure which, but anyway, it's one of the biggest sellers they've ever had. And it was a lady named uh, Sarah uh, Young, I believe, who uh, basically said she sat and listened to Jesus and let Jesus talk through her and write through her. The thing is, is first of all, there's two things. We have to line it up. Anything that people say, thus says the Lord, line it up with the Word of God. And what I point people to in Jesus Calling is one simple deal where Jesus supposedly told her, remember the last words that I said to my disciples, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I asked them, I said, what's wrong with that picture? They say, I don't know. I said, what's wrong with it is that was not Jesus' last words to his disciples. So that makes the Jesus of Jesus Calling a false Jesus. Either she was listening to another spirit, or this was coming from her own imagination, but it is not the Word of God, it's contrary to the Word of God. This upsets a lot of Christians, they just love this book, but they're attracted to it by emotional things, and this is kind of a product of our, our new age, Mike, is this age where it's the felt needs of the people. It's what matters to people is what they feel, not what is true. And with this book, people are very attached to it. But when I was in the occult, one of the the must-read books for people who are involved in the New Age was a book called God Calling that was written in the 30s by two ladies that were involved in the occult world that said they were going to sit down with pencil and paper, and they were going to channel God and get God to talk to them. These are the people that Sarah Young acknowledges as the people who inspired Jesus calling. So when you have those two things, you know, working in tandem, if you understand those two things, then no Christian should have anything to do with it because A, it's contrary to the Word of God, and B, it's gotten from a source that is clearly occultic and not from the Holy Spirit of God.
1: Mm. Well, I like what you said about why isn't God and His Word enough? I mean, when I'm alone with the Lord in the morning, Man, his, his word just soaks into my being, and I love prayer, and t- why would, to me, anything that man writes, yeah, it can encourage me, but it's still secondhand feeding.
2: Yeah, exactly, and that's why some of this other material can be so uh, deadly. I was having this discussion with, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of known as the Grinch who steals everything, because every time something becomes popular in the Christian world, I, I examine it if it's wrong i'll pull out the shotgun and just blow it to smithereens because i love god's word so much and i hate to see the perversion of things and about uh, 25 years ago i don't know how long it's been now maybe 20 years ago with the advent of uh, the purpose-driven church came the absolute obsession with a bible that was called the message and i'm one of those people i've been studying the Scriptures since i got saved i love the word of god I was always looking for translations that were closer to the original. Or, I mean, and I tell people I'm not a King James-only person, but I'm a, I'm a King James-mostly person. The, most, the more I study, the more I realize some of these translations have gotten so far off. But I was still, you know, reading some. I loved the Amplified Bible. Uh, so when the message came out, I wanted to see if this was a good paraphrase. Of course, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase which means the person just did their best to interpret what he thought the Word of God was saying, which is a very iffy thing to do. Uh, Some Bibles have been a little more successful, but I decided to get this, and I just felt uncomfortable with it. And that's when they first had, like, the Psalms and the Proverbs came out, uh, and that was it. And so I waited until they had the full version. They had a cool new message Bible with a school cover and leather, and I just went all out and bought it. And I'm having the same dilemma. I'm reading it. I'm like, I feel sick to my stomach when I read this. So I talked to a really dear friend of mine, Warren Smith, who had written a book called The Light That Was Dark and uh, uh, Deceived on Purpose. And we were just discussing. I said, what's the deal with the message? And he said, well, what does the Lord's Prayer say? I say, well, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, stop right there and read what that line says in the message. I pulled out the message, and this is the way it reads in the message. As above, so below.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Now, that phrase means nothing to the majority of Christians. But anyone who is a Satanist, who is a Wiccan, who is a New Ager, who is an esoteric or involved in any kind of magic, knows exactly what that phrase means. It, that phrase, as above, so below, is the basis of all ritual magic. And it's the belief that God and man are equal. Microcosm is macrocosm. It's a totally occult term. Now, when you see something like that, and that's just one of a billion problem, problems in the message, but when you see something like that, you have one or two choices about that. Either the author of the message did not know what he was doing, and he was simply being used by demonic forces without knowing it to put a an occultic term in the Word of God, or he knew what he was doing. Either one of those prospects is pretty frightening.
1: Mm. I want to dovetail into something else here. Um, you wrote about adult occult groups fear little, tr- little from most churches anymore, and. Uh, here in Arizona and I know you know this <laughs> in Scottsdale several weeks ago we had Satancon the uh, Satanic Temples conference a 3-day conference and I posted a little bit about it on my Facebook page and hours later I started getting posts and images by members of the Satanic Temple themselves and I just deleted them I wasn't going I didn't want to take that bait and waste my time with it but um when I see things like that and how the occult is just blossoming and become mainstream, just like pornography has, um, it, it really concerns me and even concerns me more when that, those words you wrote about adult occult groups have little to fear from most churches. I, to me, it seems like it might be because we're not talking about the war of the ages. I know you know what I'm referring to there and the fact we're in intense spiritual battle. So what, what is your take on all that?
2: Well, uh, it requires just a little bit of history for people who don't know what a lot of this is about. In the 1960s, uh, there was a, a former lion tamer and uh, police photographer named Tony LeVay, and he was very anti-Christian and despised hypocritical Christians, so he started the Church of Satan and wrote a book called The Satanic Bible, which became a bestseller almost overnight. Mm. And in the 1980s there was a, a wave of satanism and the occult and satanic crime that hit this nation like nobody had ever seen before and it was extensive it was real there were arsons there were murders there were sexual assaults all these things and so on the other side was these was anton LeBay and his group saying hey we don't even believe in faith you know we just believe in serving yourself it's about selfishness and whatever I'm like, okay, fine, let's just put you over in a corner here because you're not the real deal. You guys are posers. You guys have no idea what you're dealing with because we were dealing with the big boys who actually were criminals, who were wealthy, who were very involved in the worship of Lucifer or Satan or whatever. And so that kind of—we fought that battle in the 80s, and they came back against us in such a strong way not the Church of Satan they were just there there was small they were a small factor in all of this but there was an organized national attempt to silence us and by the time we got through the 1990s into 2000 they'd managed to convince the whole nation that none of this stuff was real that there were no satanic crimes that children were not being abused and we were absolutely blown out of the water but it succeeded in taking our network of investigators and pastors, youth pastors, whatever, from therapists, from about 250 people down to about five before it was over. Mm. Uh, and then we were just left with the narrative that says this stuff is not real, it's just satanic panic. Um, so here we are, and now we have the new kids on the block, the the, the satanic uh, temple, Lucian Greaves. But even back then, it's funny you mentioned that that you had all these people making comments to stuff, because... They began to troll us, we call them trolls, because they spend their lives on the internet looking for people like you and I, so that they can get on the website and just post all this stuff, all these, you know, make fun of us, or post pornography, or whatever. This is what they do, this is their life, and it's kind of pathetic, if you ask me. I pray for these people, because what a terrible way to spend your life is opposing the truth. Uh, but that was something that we had to deal with from the very outset of the Internet. I'll never forget posting on what was called a news group back then. There wasn't even really websites, just news groups, and I posted that if anybody wanted help getting out of the occult or to know about ritual abuse, to contact me. What resulted in about a half a day was nearly a 1,000 downloaded pages of trolls coming in and attacking me. Mm. But they let us know, even in the mid-'80s, that they were going to watch everything we did on the media and on the internet, everything else. And they were not, you know, they were going to attack anything we tried to do. And that's certainly obviously still happening. So when I heard about this the Satan Con convention, I realized this is a group of unhappy people. I think Lucian Greaves is a very unhappy person who, for whatever reason, I pray for him all the time because for whatever reason, he's decided that his goal in life is to ridicule, mock, and and to draw out Christians so that he can uh, make an example of them. So his uh, reason to be, so to speak, is to take that ugly Baphomet goat head statue and put it around any place where they have prayer, in the public square, the Ten Commandments. And so this uh, Scottsdale SatanCon thing was a big deal to them. And uh, I had some friends went out there that were sharing the Lord with people, and you know, I, you know, my, my, of course, my counsel on it was, is don't take anybody out on your team that has a short fuse because these people love to engage Christians and to get them worked up. Mm. But they're again, they're a smokescreen. They're not the real thing. Having said that, they're also very powerful in terms of resources, finances, and uh, legal aid. Uh, and they're salivating for lawsuits all the time. So that's, that was that, and it's just going to grow, And uh, that's, but it's p- important people understand. These people, they say they don't believe in Satan. I believe them. I don't think they do, but they still do the rituals inside of these conferences, and like I said, for Principle 101 Spiritual Warfare is if you call them, they will come. So without knowing it or with knowing it, these people are opening up their doors to the gates of hell and allowing whatever wants to come in. They've got full permission to come in and and, uh, dwell with or in these people. Mm. And uh, we really need to pray for them because they're totally blinded to the truth of Jesus Christ, and they're not going to get the truth of Jesus Christ unless it's demonstrated through believers who both are able to love them into the kingdom and resist their attempts at mocking them or drawing them out, and also people that are just willing to proclaim the truth about who these people are and about who Jesus is.
1: Greg, we have a minute left. What should a church at war like we are look like?
2: We should be soaked in the Word of God. We should be people of prayer, that prayer is Paul's style of pray without ceasing, and we must be people who know how to love, that understand that the lost are lost. And Jesus said, for God so loved the world. He didn't hate the world. He loved the world. And he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would never perish but have everlasting life. That should be our lifestyle, and that should be our
1: message. Mm-hmm. Greg, I love what you're doing. I love that you're equipping and educating people on these issues that are critical at this time. And thank you for joining us again.
2: Thank you, Mike. Appreciate being with you. God bless you. All
1: right. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.
0: Do you want to be free?